My name is uh, Matt Seipel. I'm also one of the pastors here uh, at Redeemer. And we uh, picked up on our series, uh, Preaching Through the Gospel of John. Uh, we started uh, in chapter 9 back in August. And today we are going to uh, begin chapter 12. So while you're turning there uh, in your Bibles, uh, let me uh, just say a couple things about chapter 12. Some people. Some people call chapter 12 the epilogue uh, to the raising of Lazarus. I will see Lazarus' name come up uh, four or five different times in chapter 12. Uh, but really, this is, uh, this is the close of Jesus' uh, public ministry. It marks the, the transition to what people call the, the passion narrative, uh, Jesus' final week on earth. That's what most of the rest of the book is actually going to be about as we continue to work our way through it. The next nine chapters are going to be uh, chronicling those seven days uh, for Jesus. Uh, So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to the reading of God's holy, inerrant, infallible word. We do have it printed for you there uh, in your bulletin. Uh, So please follow along with me. This is John uh, chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Father, we pray that you would now bless both the hearing and the preaching of your word. Sink it down into us, God. Help us both to to understand it, to believe it, and to embrace it as the very word of life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you, have you ever been lost in wonder, love, and praise? Now, that's the last line of a Charles Wesley hymn called Love Divine, uh, All Loves Excelling. Lost in wonder, love, and praise. Uh, it's a question I've been asking myself uh, this week. Uh, have, I, have I ever really been lost uh, in wonder? Uh, for God. So, so caught up in his love for me that I didn't know uh, or care about where I was. That's, that's really what this passage um, is all about. Um, Just to set the scene for you, uh, to keep the big picture in mind of what uh, John has been telling in this whole narrative, uh, what's happening here in 12 is not disconnected uh, from the events that come before it in chapter 11. Uh, If you remember, more and more people are beginning to believe 
uh, in Jesus and follow him, especially after the raising of Lazarus. Uh, The chief priests and the Pharisees, uh, they are concerned that they're losing uh, their own influence uh, with the people. And so they've put out they put out an arrest warrant uh, for Jesus. They've been, John's told us they've been plotting to kill him since chapter 5, uh, but now they are openly seeking uh, the help of others in the community to try and take Jesus down. And so Jesus uh, has to leave for a place called Ephraim, about, about 10 miles to the north, John tells us, because uh, he could no longer uh, walk openly. So when we read here uh, that he goes back to Bethany, uh, he's actually headed back toward uh, Jerusalem here. Uh, It's just a couple miles. Bethany is just a couple miles outside of the city that we're told in 11 is already filling up with people uh, in preparation uh, for the Passover. The hilltop grill is two miles away. So this is very close. It's not far. Uh, Jesus is marching toward Uh, his final days on earth here. So when he says six days before the Passover in verse one, uh, it's not just extra information. Uh, John is telling us uh, this is the Saturday night of the final week of Jesus's life. His time of daylight is ending. Uh, The sacrifice of the Lamb of God, uh, the true Passover uh, is almost here. And so, so they have a dinner. Uh, this dinner is for uh, Jesus. Uh, the raising of Lazarus, we're not told exactly uh, how many days have passed, but it, it seems obvious that it's pretty recent. Lazarus's name is, is mentioned twice here. Uh, John even reminds us, in, in case you thought it might be a different Lazarus, this is the Lazarus uh, that Jesus raised from the dead. Uh, in the parallel accounts in, in Matthew and Mark, uh, we're told that it's at Simon the leper's house. We don't have any other information about him, but presumably he's not still leprous. Uh, he's another recipient of Jesus's uh, healing miracles. And we're also told in those accounts that the, all the other disciples were there as well. So it's not a small, uh, quiet uh, meal for four. Uh, this dinner is a, is a celebration of their Lord a celebration of the man who, among countless other deeds, has brought their own brother uh, back from the dead. He is sitting uh, with them. This is an expression of honor and gratitude for Jesus. Everyone there would have understood uh, that that's what this dinner uh, was for. But John, uh, he focuses in on just two uh, main characters here. Uh, One uh, she shows her, her great love uh, for Jesus, this extravagant uh, love uh, for her king. And the other, we'll see, is, is swallowed up uh, with his own love uh, for the world. Uh, but the point here, uh, the point uh, of this passage is that Jesus is worthy of our highest uh, devotion. He's worthy of all the devotion uh, that we uh, can muster. Uh, these eight verses, uh, they give us an opportunity to reflect uh, on our own uh, devotion to Jesus, or perhaps the lack of it. Uh, so as we do that together, uh, there's just there's three uh, perspectives on devotion uh, that I'd like for us to consider. Um, the first 
as John gives us a, a picture of godly uh, devotion here, we have a genuine scriptural example uh, to follow here with Mary. And second, we see a pragmatic uh, devotion. This is what happens when your cares for the world uh, compete uh, with love for Jesus. And then third, I want us to see the real, what is the real motive uh, for devote, devoting yourself uh, to Jesus. Why would Mary give herself to Jesus uh, in this way? Okay, So godly devotion, pragmatic devotion, and then the motive for devotion. Well, first... We see this picture of godly devotion. Mary uh, is where we often see her in the scripture. She's at the feet of Jesus. Uh, She's showing uh, her love for him in this striking, uh, extravagant way. And and we learn here uh, that we are to give ourselves with abandon uh, to the Lord Jesus. Now, there's actually several things uh, to notice here, several things that teach us what true devotion uh, really looks like. First, Probably the most obvious thing to you as you read the passage is that Mary's devotion uh, was costly. In order to express her devotion to Jesus, uh, she uses uh, this perfume. And it's not, just a, it's not just a mist, right? It's not just a couple sprays like you get at the mall. Um, we're told it's a pound. Uh, more accurately, it's, it's probably about 12 ounces. It's about the weight of a can of soup is what she uses. And explicitly, we're told it's expensive uh, perfume. It's not, a, not an ordinary kind of perfume. This is made uh, from nard. Now, now, I doubt that means much to you, uh, that it's made uh, from nard. But what John's telling us is that it comes from a plant in northern India, uh, a little over 2,000 miles away. Now, I've got, I've got things in my office right over here that are made on the other side of the world, like several things. Uh, but Mary did not have uh, Amazon Prime. Uh, people didn't just have things from northern India. Uh, it's, it's possible uh, that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus had sort of saved up and maybe they, they pooled their money together uh, to buy this perfume. Some think it could have been like a a family heirloom of some kind that had been passed down, or maybe they were, they were one of the few actually wealthy uh, families. Uh, but whatever the case, it didn't just happen to be lying there on the shelf. Uh, in fact, if they're at someone else's house, it's likely that this was all part of the plan. She brought this with her in order to do this. And verse 5 tells us it was 300 denarii. That's, that's roughly a year's wages, And no matter who you are, $20,000 is a lot of money to watch get poured out on the floor. Mary's devotion was costly. But it was also, was also see that it was humble. Her devotion was actually an act of humility itself. Jesus' feet are mentioned twice here. Uh, John is highlighting for us uh, Mary's position, again, in these parallel accounts in Matthew and Mark. What we see is that the perfume is actually poured on Jesus' head. I, I don't think it's a contradiction. I think what John wants us to see is that there's, one, so much perfume used, a whole can of soup, uh, that it covered his entire body. Uh, but, two, by, by focusing on the feet here, um, what we see is that Mary... 
She knowingly placed herself in the position of a servant. Uh, You may know or or, or might have heard uh, that typically only a servant uh, would touch his master's feet. Uh, Some even think it was the one thing that was beneath uh, a servant to do. Uh, But in any case, it it wasn't pretty work. I wear socks and shoes. I mostly walk around on carpet and concrete. And I take a shower every day. And my feet still don't smell great. I can only imagine what it would be like to wear sandals and walk around in the dirt all the time. This was not symbolically humble. Okay, It was actually dirty work. Uh, But what we see is that Mary was glad to be found at her master's feet. Her her devotion was bound up with her humility. Uh, To truly give yourself to Jesus is always tied to an acknowledgement that we are but his servants. Our devotion is for him and not for us. But when the king uh, is good... Uh, His glory uh, is for you. So Mary's devotion uh, is also full of affection. Uh, It was costly and it was humble. And what's very clear here is it was affectionate. This is is probably the most foreign uh, part of the story here. Uh, If you weren't tripped up uh, by the nard, uh, Mary's Wiping Jesus' feet with her hair uh, might give you some pause. This is where we tend to stop and say, okay, well, this seems a little uh, over the top. Um, But what I want to make sure we see uh, is that as odd as it might seem to us, it was just as out of the box for the people at the dinner. Uh, This is not some ancient Near Eastern ritual that if you were just a little more familiar with the times uh, that you could really get your head around what's going on here. No, it was truly extravagant. Uh, For a woman uh, to unbind her hair uh, in public, it would have been unseemly. Um, Nan and I were at a concert uh, a couple years ago And there was this man in front of us, probably in his 50s, who was enjoying the concert just like everybody else. And then when the opening act was done and the main act came out on stage, uh, he proceeded to take off his shirt and dance for the next two hours. His excitement moved him to throw off all concern uh, for any sense of propriety. He certainly was stepping over all of my boundaries Um, Mary, she is moved uh, to let her hair down, but but it's not not inappropriate. Uh, It's just beyond all social norms. It's seen as, it would be seen as undignified or in bad taste. It just was not done. Uh, But she actually actually goes beyond uh, that. She then uses her hair on uh, Jesus' feet to wipe up the perfume. Uh, she, is, she is privileged to use her hair as a towel on her master's feet. Uh, 
Theology uh, is important. I, I, I think it's vital. Uh, if you know me well at all, uh, you know that, that I like my books. I like to read books. I like to talk to other people about books. Um, and I really love that the Presbyterian Church is committed to having an educated uh, ministry. But uh, theology is not our end. Theology uh, cannot be enough. We must be moved to love uh, Jesus. And if our theology does not move us to love him, it's either bad theology or you have failed to grasp the significance. Christianity, just down at its root, at a base level, Christianity is affectional. You see, Mary really loved Jesus. Her affection here is so, it's so great that she just throws off all concern for public appearance and the smell of the perfume fills the room. And it's very clear that her devotion, it was not just a matter of inward thoughts or even inward uh, feelings. Uh, she boils over into lavish praise for her Savior. When Nan and I got engaged, uh, her dad gave us uh, a budget for the wedding. Uh, I'm, I'm told we did not stay in the budget. Uh, but even if we had, uh, it was not a small amount of money. Uh, engagement rings, uh, they're sort of notoriously <laughs> uh, expensive. And actually for a group of, a segment of the population, is also notoriously poor. Um, some people question uh, these kind of expenses, but most of us uh, go along with it. And I think the reason is because it's the wonder and reverence for the occasion. It demands something extravagant. There's nothing, there's nothing too extravagant for Jesus. Uh, we may be unwise in our expression of devotion, Although I have my doubts uh, that any of us need to worry about that. Uh, but our devotion can never be too great. Psalm 116 says, What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? Or like we just sang, uh, Were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small? Godly devotion is costly and it's humble, and at bottom, it is affectionate. Uh, but we have this uh, sharp contrast here. Uh, we also have the pragmatic devotion of Judas. Uh, this is what happens when the cares of the world are allowed to drown out uh, our love for Jesus. Uh, most of the Gospels, or, or throughout most of the Gospels, the chief priests and the Pharisees, are very obviously uh, the bad guys uh, in the story. Uh, but Judas reminds us here that true uh, devotion is never simply about being on the right team. He's described in verse 4 as one of his disciples. Uh, he's not only on the right side. Uh, Judas is in the inner circle. He knows all the same things about Jesus that Mary does. 
He knows that the man at the table was dead for four days, but now is sitting there and celebrating and eating dinner with them. And Judas himself performed miracles in Jesus' name. He was both a disciple and uh, the one who would betray Jesus. Proximity to Jesus is no substitute for the love of Jesus. Giftedness uh, cannot replace the fear of the Lord. So Judas is there. He, he watches Mary. Uh, he sees this extravagant display in front of him. And you know, he's put off. Uh, what he sees bothers him. And he scolds Mary for being wasteful. He asks her, why, why, why didn't you sell this? We should all be careful to roll our eyes at other people's devotion. Remember, there's nothing uh, too lavish uh, for Jesus. And I don't just have in mind uh, money. Uh, it could be the funding of a, of a beautiful sanctuary, or it could be someone uh, saying amen or someone raising their hands. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't do any of those things. But, but who are we uh, to criticize another's love for Jesus? We are not to be proud of keeping our love under control. Of course, Judas, you know, he, he covers up uh, his scorn for her with these pious reasons. We could have given the money to the poor, Mary. It sounds plausible, but it's not a fair comparison. Worship, uh, devotion to Jesus is not one thing in a long list of things uh, that Christians may or may not do. It is essential to what it means to be a Christian. Of course, Caring for the poor is a good thing. Jesus obviously is interested in it. But there, there is no genuine good accomplished if it comes at the expense of devotion to Jesus. All of our doings must be an outgrowth of our devotion, not something that competes with it. And John, John is very clear here. If we... Is, if we couldn't see through it already, uh, Judas, he does not have uh, good intentions. He tells us he's a faker. He does not even mean what he says about the poor. He, he portrays himself as compassionate, but John tells us he's actually skimming off the top. He's a thief. Judas cared about the money. He thinks in terms of money. He measures value in terms of money. And he reduces Mary's devotion to a number. It's 300 denarii. Her actions, they bother him because he's seeing his own profits poured over Jesus' feet. Some commentators even think that this is the moment when Judas flipped. Uh, he, he can now see there, there's no real opportunity 
for uh, advancement or power or prestige with this man, Jesus. And now he's losing his opportunity to make money too. So he'd just rather sell Jesus than to see his money wasted. Do you love uh, money? Do you think about it? Does it take up a lot of space uh, in your mind? Do you measure value in terms of financial cost? I think it's easy for us to forget, uh, but we are a congregation that is well above the average uh, household income. I wasn't sure if I wanted to say this because you're going to think I'm talking about your clothes, but just know that that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, but a friend of mine visited here, uh, it was over a year ago, from out of town. And his comment to me was, you have a very pretty church. And that was his way of saying, I can see the money. Now, what I'm not saying, I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. It's not inherently uh, bad. The money for the perfume came from somewhere. Uh, the early church worshipped in people's homes. Uh, surely they belonged uh, to the more wealthy members of the congregation. But, you know, Jesus says it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Our use of the money that we have uh, needs to be a reflection of our devotion to Jesus. We should all be wary of the love uh, for money. It can eat up your love for Jesus. Judas thought that Mary uh, was just being unreasonable. Her devotion was costly and his was stingy. Hers was humble, but he was above it. Uh, hers was affectionate, but Judas's was calculated. It was measured. He would, he would only devote himself to Jesus so much. Devotion has its limits. His concern for Jesus only went as far as his own personal gain. It was pragmatic. But pragmatism is a worship killer. When we participate in the life of the church for other ends, uh, these things distract us away from seeing Jesus himself as our highest good. Jesus does not exist uh, for your side benefits. Not not only can they distract us, uh, they, they can actually turn on us um, so that we actually hate Jesus when he doesn't give us the thing we thought he was supposed to give us. Maybe you've seen this happen. I I know that I've seen it happen. Uh, Watched people uh, turn on Jesus because they thought he was going to fix their life. And when he didn't, uh, they didn't just turn on him. They, They despised him. Uh, This is where using Jesus uh, for your own personal ends can take you. And Judas is a warning uh, to all of us here that love of the world can crowd out our love for Jesus. 
So I don't want you, I don't want you to leave here today just thinking, uh, don't be a Judas. Uh, or, or even just thinking, well, be like uh, Mary, although the, both of those things are true. Um, we, we need to understand why Mary could give herself uh, to Jesus uh, in this way. What is the proper motive for the kind of devotion that we see on display here? Well, look at verse 7. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. He has no patience for Judas's uh, interruptions here. He's not going to allow him to disturb her or to criticize Mary in any way. But, but his reasoning here is interesting. Uh, the, the Greek in verse 7 is, is really difficult. I'm, I'm not going to try to explain it. Uh, but, but if you look back in verse 3, uh, what Mary does, uh, John calls anointing. Uh, anointing was typically reserved uh, for a more festive occasion. It, it meant that you were being set apart uh, for a particular task. In the Old Testament, it would have begun uh, your new role as a king or as a priest. Uh, but it was not for burial. It was not a funeral ceremony. What I, here's what I think Jesus means here. He's telling Judas that Mary was on the right track. He's telling Judas that Mary understands that he's going to die soon. Not only that, but she understands that the same man that raised her brother back from the dead is now going to face death himself and he's going to do it on her behalf. Mary understands that the cross Jesus' death for his people is the cornerstone of his kingship. And Jesus says, be quiet. She knows what's coming, and she loves me for it. There's something for us to learn here uh, about church leadership. You see, Mary, she knew uh, what the disciples never seemed to understand, at least not prior to the resurrection. Jesus has told them um, over and over again, especially as you see it in the other gospel accounts, that he's going to die and ra be raised again on the third day. But their concerns are so often on the kingdom and their place in it. See, Mary, she has no illusions that she's going to have a seat at any table of power. Uh, she loved her master. She didn't get... Uh, three years of personal instruction. She just loved Jesus. In the next chapter, we'll see Jesus teaching his disciples that they're going to have to be servants in the kingdom. And the way he teaches them is he washes their feet. They had to be taught what Mary already knew. Church leaders do not have a monopoly on the truth. It was her love for Jesus. It wasn't, it wasn't her time in seminary. It wasn't her ordination. It wasn't the office that she held. It was her love for Jesus that enabled her to see clearly. 
She loved him because she knew that he was going to die for her and because she understood that God first loved her. So when when Jesus uh, says, you'll always have the poor with you, but you won't always have me, he's not really talking about the poor. He's talking about the six days that he has left, and he's reminding Judas, and he's reminding us that it's actually our time that is running out. Uh, Mary considers Jesus' death, and she ponders his love for her and his willingness to die, and she is compelled to give everything uh, for his sake. You see, she wants all of Jesus that she can get with the time that she has left. She looked forward uh, to the cross, and we, we show our honor and our gratitude for all that Jesus has already accomplished for us. It's as we contemplate his finished work that our love for him grows. If you are in Christ, he has purchased your forgiveness with his blood. If you're in Christ, he has promised victory for you over sin and even death itself. If you are in him, he has secured your future in glory where there will be no darkness and you will be lost in wonder and love and praise. All of these you have because of Jesus' great love for you. God's Unbounding love for his people is the real motive for all of our devotion. The more we grasp it, the more we long uh, not only to live for him, uh, but to be with him and even just to gaze upon him. I've been rereading the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis uh, with my kids the last several weeks. Uh, we're into the third book now. Uh, if you haven't read these books, I do highly recommend them. They, they are not children's literature. Uh, they're adult books in like a children's style. Uh, they are, they're profound. There's a lot to learn, learn from them. But my, my favorite character in these books, if you're not familiar with them, is a little mouse. And his name is Reepicheep. When you first come across Reepicheep, you think he's a joke. Because he's always talking about honor and glory and battle and wanting to fight. And he's, you know, he's, he's a big mouse, but he's still only two feet tall. But as you continue to read the books, what you realize is actually the joke's on you. Uh, Reepicheep is the true uh, picture of courage uh, in these books. His love for Aslan compels him to boldness and courageous action. Uh, Aslan, of course, he, he's, he's the Christ figure in the stories. He's the king uh, who dies for his people in the first book. Well, in the third book, uh, Reepicheep is on a, he's on a voyage uh, with his friends. Uh, they're traveling to the seven lonely islands. But Reepicheep, the only reason he's on the voyage, he doesn't actually care about the other people's reasons. Uh, he has heard that Aslan's country is in the far eastern part of the world. And so he wants to be uh, with Aslan. Uh, His plan is when when their voyage is over, he will just keep going until he's with his king. So listen listen to what he says here. This mouse, Reepicheep, who loved his king. 
While I can, I sail east in the dawn treader. When she fails me, I paddle east in my coracle. And when she sinks, I shall swim east with my four paws. And when I can swim no longer, if I've not reached Aslan's country or shot over the edge of the world in some vast cataract, I shall sink with my nose to the sunrise. Our situation is not like Mary's. We don't have Jesus here with us in the flesh like she did, but we're to take every opportunity that we have to fix our eyes on him. Uh, Every time we we open our Bibles or every time we pray, every time we sing together, every time we participate in the Lord's Supper, and I'm not just saying that you should do those things. That, That is a given. But when you do those things, come with great expectations that you might meet with Jesus by faith. These are all our opportunities uh, to love him and to contemplate his love for us, to to see him by faith until that great day when we will see him with our eyes. There's only so much time for our worldly cares. We're to see devotion to Jesus as an end uh, in itself. We're to want as much of Jesus as we can get. To spend every day that we have left running after our friend and our Savior uh, and our King. And if he does not return before then, uh, may we all die with our nose pointed to the east. Father, we thank you for such a great Savior as Jesus, none of us is as devoted to him as we ought to be or as we would like to be, but I pray that you would press down into us your great love uh, for us and that as we consider it, meditate on it and sing about it and read about it, that it would change us, that you would make us Make us the kind of people that want nothing more than to be with him. We pray these things in his name. Amen.